go to thecognitiverampage.com. Keep fueling the change. Help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support. Love you. The Cognitive Rampage, a scientific approach to self-discovery, change, and life optimization, is now available on Amazon. What I do in the book is I fuse the latest research from the cognitive, behavioral, social, environmental, and biological science. Whether you need a life change, simply enjoy self-exploration and optimization, want to discover new hidden passions, or reduce the life-altering effects of toil, anxiety, depression, all of those issues, this book is for you. You'll customize the scientific framework with your own personal beliefs to build your authentic change. You'll use this framework throughout your whole life, through every change, and through every age. This book is an experience. It's a path to help you unleash your desired change. You can apply this method on your own with no harmful side effects. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you are living your cognitive rampage. Today's guest, Dr. Cassie Huckabee, is the founder of Grit Natural Medicine. She's a doctor of naturopathic medicine, uh, has a ton of research and work and study in clinical immunology and integrative approaches to autoimmune disease. Uh, she studied at the Institute for Specialized Medicine, uh, has a ton of focus in functional neurology, uh, studied at the International Association of Functional Neurology and Rehabilitation. Uh, we cover uh, a, a wide range of topics and theories on this podcast. Um, she shares a story uh, about a patient of hers. Uh, it's quite a miracle story as well. Uh, but we, we talk about sort of a transition to, I guess you could say, back to uh, natural medicine uh, that we sort of see evolving right now, uh, along with mixtures of technology in with that, right? Uh, but we talk about uh, a lot of the treatments you, you might not hear about. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've probably heard of them. We talk about some light and circadian rhythm things uh, and research. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Jack Cruz's work and a ton of other uh, research and healing methods. Um, I really enjoyed listening to her approach and theory uh, on healing as opposed to looking for just pathology. Uh, I really enjoyed this podcast. Uh, I hope you do too. This is Dr. Cassie Huckabee. Hi, Dr. Huckabee. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? Doing all right. Um, I, I say it before each show. I feel like I've repeated myself. I've done like four podcasts in the last two days, but we, okay. I, I gutted out the podcast studio and turned it to a, a gym. <laughs> so, Heck yeah. so forgive the, the background. I've, I've just, for the last six years of my life, seven years podcasting, we've had this really built out studio, like all, all sound insulated, the whole thing. We called it the cognitive cave, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, we haven't been doing any in-studio podcasts, right? You know, so people are staying yeah. away from each other. So I'm like, you know what? I don't need that whole studio. I need a <laughs> punching bag more than I, more than I, I need that. It. No, I am all about that. Um, make it practical, livable. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we, we came out to a much smaller house to at the, we're on the beach, which is nice. So, you know, you can wake up and see the ocean. I'll take it. But, uh, we downsized big time when, when COVID was coming, we're like, all right, Forget chancing it. That's it. We're we're leaving the the sort of suburbs, if you will. We're out of here. <laughs> we're going into yeah. hibernation at the beach. I we're love done. It. I love it. And I speak that language too. So where are you at? I'm in San Diego. What about you? Uh, Florida. Florida. Oh, yeah, beautiful. New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Okay. So I've I was, never been. 
No, well, you got you got good beaches. San Diego is beautiful. So <laughs> I've, I've only I've been there I think just twice, and each time it, it's gorgeous. The weather's wonderful. Beautiful. Yeah, they told me I came from Texas originally, and they told me, you know, people that go to San Diego they never leave. And I was like, I'm from Texas. I will leave. And then I came, and I'm still here. <laughs> and you're stuck. So you're not you're not on the mass exodus, right? In quotes. I, I mean, I'm playing with it, but not not quite yet. Oh, considering though, considering, considering. going back to Texas. Maybe not Texas, um, but you know. Gosh, there's so much Texan in me that I, I can't rule that out either. So all my family is in Texas, um, so it's very near and dear to my heart. So it, it's definitely a possibility. Oh, it's already decided. I can tell you already. <laughs> if you're going anywhere, you're going back to Texas. <laughs> Get some wide open space and some land, and yeah. See, look, you're already planning it. See, you're you, you've already planned it out. Busted and busted. You diagnosed it. Yeah, <laughs> most of the Floridians. You know, I'm, I'm born and raised Floridian. I, I tend to come okay. back. You know, I've lived a few places, but I, I come back. I, I like water on all sides, well, mostly all sides. Yeah. yeah. No, it's so healing for me. That's one thing that's hard to get me away from. There's, you know, the ocean in Texas is quite different. And where I'm from, I'm actually from the Panhandle. So there was no ocean inside or water. I mean, there were a couple of lakes, um, but that was about it when it came to water. And the ocean is just something all on its own that you can't really compete with so yeah what well, why do you why do you think so many people flock to the ocean because i have a theory Ooh, i want to know your theory um i have many theories i think that when you go there you just feel held and it silences out the world even if you're like you know um in a parking lot that's right close to you know the 101 it it has this magnificence and this presence that can just like white noise out the rest of the chaos and you just go there and you're submerged in nature, whether you want to or not. And it's so powerful and it competes with the sky in magnitude. And I think it just, you know, it stirs up all of that childlike wonder in us because it's terrifying, but it's beautiful. It's refreshing. Um, and there's so much mystery in it that I think we can't, we just can't look away from it. You know, there's something that captures, um, everything that makes us excited and filled with wonder. So what's your theory? Uh, well, I, how do you follow a beach promo ad like that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't follow that ad, but yeah, that is, yes, you nailed it. But uh, and, and points of my theory kind of reach to what you're saying is I think people flock there because when you walk the beach, you're on the edge of the unknown and the known. You, you you know the world to your left, depends on which way you're walking, right? But the world to your right is unknown. It's full of monsters, possibly, in your mind, right? Um, yeah. It's food comes from it, right? There's this just vast unknown. And I think, I think we flock to it, uh, not only for the sun, that experience, everything you spoke about, for sure. But that, that ability to walk the edge of the known and the, and the unknown, kind of where, really, where we really are in life, right? I was going to say it kind of parallels just existence in this physical plane. I think that's beautiful and um, couldn't agree more because you are. You're right there and you can touch it. You can go dive in deep or you can just stay on the coast, <laughs> you know, on the <laughs> sand and not go in. And the depth um, and, you know, the over like the amount of mystery that you're willing to go into, you know, is up to you. Cause when I first came here, I didn't really want to get in much, you know, I'd watch shark week and uh, <laughs> it was like, you know, it's cool. I did lots of board sports, like weightboarding and all of that stuff. And I was like, I want to surf, but you know, just that idea of like, what is 
underneath my feet. And, you know, here in San Diego and maybe even there too, you know, steam rays are a very real thing. And, um, you know, but the more you go into it, the more you, you know, surrender to its power, the more addicted you get to it and the deeper you go and the deeper you go. It's exactly what you're saying. I think it does parallel life um, in such a beautiful way. It draws you in. But something about it is terrifying, but you keep wanting to go in. <laughs> you keep yeah. wanting to go deeper. Yeah, yeah. New Summer on a Beach, where I live, is the shark bite capital of the world. Oh, love it. Yeah, more, <laughs> more people are bitten here than anywhere else. And I try to tell my friends, because I'm, I'm in that water every just about every day. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell my friends, I'm like, look, it's the shark bite capital, not the shark death capital, yeah, okay? It's different. I'm like, so they're babies. <laughs> they're, they're babies. You might lose a piece of your calf. It might happen, right? But it's other fine. than that, it's the best place it's for natural, waves. Right? It's, <laughs> it, it, it's it's fun, man. I I certainly enjoy being by it. Um, kind of leapfrogging uh, as before we start to kind of talk about what you do and what you practice. Uh, yeah. I'm sort of on a, another theory, right? That that medicine and none of these theories are my own. They're stacked up from other people's theories pulled into one, right? Just to right. just to set, to note oh, that. So <laughs> sort of. I don't know. Um, I'm yeah. sure it's it's out there a lot, right? Is that um, the treatment and society almost seem to be tied in on a cycle, right? Um, as if well, my my one of my dogs has decided to have fun. Sorry. Oh, he's wild. So uh, like it's on this uh, on a cycle of uh, coming back to a natural naturopathy, right? Uh, that sort of almost through the ages you watch and you use psychology, right? What what the main approach was in psychology, right? If you went back to, you know, I don't know, 30s, 40s, right? Uh, you, you more or less had a demon in you, right? Something was probably wrong with you. You had to cast something out of you, right? Um, and then Freud comes along, right? And he's a crazy person. He, he I like how he... He has some gumption. You got to say it's because you want to sleep with your mom. That's why, you know, and, he, and he, he says this stuff, right? And we get into this psychoanalytic background, right? Then the, the, the uh, psychodynamic background doesn't start to unfold until 60s, 70s, where you have this client-centered positive approach in the 60s. Imagine that, right? Uh, uh, Carl Rogers, if you will, right in the 60s starts to happen. And then as 80s, 90s come along, you, you start to see this cognitive approach. It's what you're thinking. But technology's changing at the same time. And so it became all about what you're thinking and more analytical, some behavior uh, behind that as well, not so much feeling and client-centered. And then now psychology is brain imaging, brain mapping, ph- pharmacology, right? It, it's gone technical along with the technical society. And you're seeing what I think is a change now back to before we had all of that, right? It was roots and water, right? It was natural medicine, right? And we cycled from that. And I see a cycle going back to that as if we're coming back where healing is now possibly coming off the technology zone it went into, right, with brain imaging mapping, but but utilizing that to now prove natural healing, which was the very beginning of it all. Sorry for the elongated theory there. Um, I totally agree. And that's kind of, you know, my perspective on things, too, is like things are much less beginning and end and more of a wave. Um, And, you know, depending on who you look into, if you ever look into like Walter Russell or whatever, um, everything is, you know, it's a wave to everything. It's a cycle. Even, you know, the earth has cycles and seasons and um, it's exactly that. Um, And so I I agree with you. I I think that... um, we have changed with 
technology. But now I think the beautiful thing about it is there has been an unchangeable, you know, factor there. And we just put a different language to it. So when we had more technology, we gave it a different story, <laughs> you know, a new perspective, a different language that we came up with when technology um, came on board. And so now we have new words to describe and all of these different things. But I think the beauty of it is there's this unchangeable nature and exactly what you spoke to is like, we go back to that always because that's unchangeable. That is the unshakable, the true, the light, um, the, the realest thing that's here. Like you can describe it in so many different ways. Um, everybody has a different story. When we get new ways of measuring it and trying to understand it, we give it a different language and all of these different things. Um, but what I have found is like the more that I looked into it and when I came into the world of quantum medicine and quantum physics, it's just that we were finally able to give a language to some of these things that we still can't understand. And I think that's one of the biggest things for everyone to even understand now is like <laughs> the amount that we are able to understand is magnificent, but it is nowhere close to the truest, like if we could truly understand the language of what is woven into our universe, we're nowhere near it. Like I, you know, I sometimes just think that like, we're probably really close and the more we grow, you know, technologically, um, we have more to understand and we're able to look for more things. And when you look for it, you find things. Um, but that doesn't mean they weren't always there. You know what I mean? No, I, I certainly do. I, I like the exploratory I, uh, approach you're taking to it, right, is uh, we are constantly looking to label things, to call them something, right? I've, I argued probably on one of these podcasts, right, that just because <laughs> you find a group of things that happen and we label it doesn't mean that's even a thing, right? So it's yeah. our social constructs <laughs> applying behavior patterns to the world, the natural world, to ourselves, right, to our psychology even, right? And, and, and we call it something to, to label that. Um, to try to, I think, I mean, mainly to better understand it, right? We got to label it to study it. The guy who kind of created stress didn't know what to call what he was studying, so called it stress, and boom, now we have stress, right? Yes. No, I agree, and I think that that, again, you know, really parallels everything that we're even experiencing in this time. You know, it's, it's much less of, you know, this group is right and this group is wrong. I think it's so much more fluid than that, and if we could understand that and meet, meet each other on that level, you would see that, like, Everybody has a different story, um, and their story determines how they see things, and then how they see things determines what they experience. And so if you have a story, and I have a story, and I'm trying to convince you of my story, and you're trying to convince me of my, yours, you know, there's never going to be this, like, understanding. I think it's when we all, like, say, okay, this is what my perspective. What's yours? And then I think the beauty and the truth comes when you come from completely different angles, completely different backgrounds, completely different stories, and then you find commonalities and you find those pieces where you meet in the middle and like, whoa, maybe we're onto a truth here. Maybe neither story is completely perfect. Maybe neither story is completely accurate, um, but maybe there's truth sprinkled into each of them and it's through conversation, through, you know, listening to other people and their version and their perspective their experiences maybe we can meet in the middle and then through that piece together a greater truth and um, you know that's kind of what I found in medicine too you know depending on what your story is it's going to depend on what you resonate with um, and I've talked about this a lot you know with our current events you know if you're trying to strip away you know for instance some people look at 
allopathic medicine as, you know, a parachute, a, a, their safety net when it comes to, you know, living. Most people are afraid of dying. And so when they need to trust in something and they've been trained to not trust in themselves, of course you outsource that to what? <laughs> medicine. And so if they have never even, if their story is, okay, so I got a cold and then I took this pill and then it suppressed something, but their story said, I took this pill and it healed me. But my perspective of that story was, you took a pill and it suppressed symptoms that you're later going to have to pay for through chronic disease or through these other things. It's a different perspective. And so to try to strip away their safety net through my story of, or my understanding um, is doing a disservice to the individual who that's not their story. So we, I, I think the story piece of it is really where we find humanity, where we find love and caring. And um, you don't go and try to argue with somebody that, you know, believes that a mask is saving them right now or believes that a vaccine is the answer because they've probably never experienced naturally healing from a flu or naturally reversing their diabetes or naturally reversing, you know, a bigger condition. And if you've never experienced that and you're faced with the biggest, most terrifying story you've ever experienced, a pandemic, and then you want to strip that away from them, you're like, no, nature and eat and, you know, move and all of these things, like that's not their story. And you're trying to strip away something that makes them feel safe. So I think exactly what you brought up here is so powerful. Like if we could understand the true story, understand the truth here that we've been misled that there might be another version and what if we communicate um because anytime there's you know a debate how timely again too um you go in aligning with your story and defending it with all you've got because you got to believe in something right and so you associate your story with i am this and if this is wrong then i am wrong and so if i'm wrong and you're right then i'm still wrong and so i need to be right and so there's just no softness there there's no, you know, opening to maybe perceive a different story. And I think now more than ever, we need to look at all of those stories. I think we're being forced to look at the stories um, and see the ones that, you know, might not have the foundation that, that we thought they had. And maybe we were misled and maybe we've been lied to about a lot of things. And maybe we're more powerful than we ever imagined. And, um, you know, to try on a couple of different perspectives and, and have the compassion um, to understand the perspective of somebody else. You know, I, I was talking the other day um, to a group of people, you know, I don't believe, I've never prescribed a mask to anybody to optimize their health. And so, you know, looking into the research of, you know, even if we were to consider this um, to be true, you know, it's just, it doesn't promote health and well-being. And, you know, so there's some people that feel like they should be vocal about these things and confront people wearing a mask. And, you know, I, I don't think that's the way that we do it here. I, I think that if you're playing, you know, within their game and you're you're doing things through fear and trying to, you know, scare them by like, oh, you're creating hypoxia in your body and that causes cancer and all of, like you're fighting fear with fear. Yeah. What if we start going with truth and like, you know, I was just thinking the other day I was running at the ocean and like just like we were talking at the beginning, like it's such an experience. The smells, the way, you know, the air hits your skin. Uh, the, the feel of the sand and how it's soft when you get closer and then it's harder when you get more inland and, and just the beauty of that moment, you know, and I'm running past people, of course, with no mask on um, and they're walking in a mask and instead of being like, oh, I can't believe you're not woke enough to 
believe these things, like, instead it just, like, hits my heart in a different way. It's like, they're so fearful. They've never, they've never got to feel the beautiful gift of what it is to trust in this and trust in what they have, that they, their fear is preventing them from experiencing the beauty of that moment. They want to be there so badly that they'll go, but they're, they're going to still, you know, prevent themselves from breathing in that salty air, experiencing the beauty and the softness and the grace of that moment because of this level of fear. And, you know, I was, it made me think again on that same run, like, you know, what, what is the most beautiful way to speak to this? Because I want them breathing. I want them knowing that they're safe. Um, Cause there's a part of me that's really mad and like gets like that, you know, anger of, you know, what is being done to people during this time through fear and you want it for other people out of love. And, you know, I was just sitting there like, you know, what if, you know, take a scenario of like, you know, a woman that goes to the ocean every day and she can't run because it just suffocates you and it's uncomfortable and you get lightheaded and it's just not quite the experience you had before. And they see other people playing on the beach without a mask on, little kids going into the ocean free, completely careless. And so she keeps going back and seeing these people just living and playing and breathing in the same world that she is terrified of, the air that she's terrified of, they're breathing freely. Um, and what if one day she just got tired of it? And instead of somebody confronting her and trying to convince her to take her mask off, what if in that moment she just was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm ready to breathe air. If they can be okay, I'm going to try it out. And in that moment, I think that's the beauty. I think that's the shift when she experiences it for herself. You don't convince her. You convince her through you living life in a way that you that is truth for you. And being like, hey, I'm breathing. I've been breathing this whole time. Um, and, you know, then just like, you know, letting your life be your message. Instead of this confrontational, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm woke, you're not. You're a sheep. I'm enlightened all of these things it's still it's still this separation and it's still feeding into this whole thing that if we all just stopped it was like what if in in every moment we came into ourselves and like i'm going to take it off and see what it feels like to breathe and then what if that leads to you know okay i'm fine here if i get the flu i'm gonna not take that and i'm gonna try these foods and these supplements and these herbs and then that leads to Okay, what if you can heal from an autoimmune condition? And then you experience that, and then you get this snowball of like, I don't care what they, like what fear story they come, like what new bug they come up with, or what new thing they come up with. There's this like unshakable nature, not because you were trained, not because you were told, but because you experienced it. And so for me, like that experience, that moment where you, where you step into what is right for you and like i might be wrong but i'm willing to prove myself right or wrong either way i don't know that, that's a, sh- a shift in a story right i mean you you covered yeah. a lot there um <laughs> but a, a shift in a, a story of somebody's own mind of what their story is what the world is what other people are what relationships are supposed to be all the way down to what government is these yeah. stories concrete into people's lives because without a personal perception defined as truth that we call our story, 
then it can be rather scary in what we're experiencing, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're taking a moment of, quotes, consciousness, right, as far as we know, and consciousness that is here, and I have to frame stories around this, right? This is what the government does. This is what I do. This is what I believe is what people should do. And those are concrete stories based on beliefs, right? I write a lot about that uh, in my book, actually, about how we hold on to experiences to shape our lives based on beliefs that concrete our, into our whole mindset, right, over time. And down to the story to let go, the moment that you were talking about, I, I understand where um, it's, I actually even wrote about it, how it doesn't have to be gradual. People think that like change is this gradual process. And I try to, th- I try to say, think about all the, the evidence quotes you had to gather before that one time in the example you used to take the mask off, right? Or to be something different, to try against somebody else's told to you story. For, what, what, what got you to that moment? Right. What? Why can't you just skip all of this evidence building since all of this evidence building is subjective anyway? It's just your perception anyway. You're gathering a subjective experience over time to develop subjective evidence for yourself to change your mind in a moment. Well, if all that is subjective, just skip all that shit and you can go right to right now that moment of, for your example, to take the mask off, right? To try something different, to move wherever you wanted to, to quit your job, right? To try a new medical approach or something like that. Um, Why not just do that moment, right? And I mean, I know why we do the moment as a a human. I kind of explained it, but I'm like, all of that evidence shit is subjective anyway. You're wasting all your time gathering subjective evidence. Just make the change right then and now, right? Oh, if it was only that easy. Um, but there's so many lessons, too, along along that journey, too. Because I, I think what you're speaking to now, too, is, you know, I think what this consciousness really is, is making us see things that we didn't want to acknowledge that we knew, that we saw, that we felt. Because before now, it was really easy to be like, no, they're not. There's not poison in our food. There's no big business. There's no, right. you know, big pharma doesn't do all. It's not all manipulated. And, um, cause, you know, I came from small town West Texas and, you know, um, there's a, there was an innocence to me. I, I trusted medicine. I trusted government. I trusted everything. And I thought what people said was what they, you know, intended. And, um, you know, you go into the real world and, and part of what's happening right now is we're being forced to see what's in the room. We're being forced to see what's, you know, behind the doors and hidden in the closets all at once, <laughs> all right now. And it's making us stand there and be like, okay, um, we have to see it. Now, are you courageous enough to see it, to be here, to see it, all that is here? And then now, you know, be okay with really, it's a loss of innocence, I think, that we're, you know, collectively going through this loss of like trusting daddy government and mama medicine and trusting but you know the hard part is can they make that turn though without responding in fear the opposite way right waking up to to an illusion or to what you see is subjective and, and forced into a mass population you wake up from that it's hard not to be then angry at that and come back at that with the same anger exactly and I think that's where part of my biggest work was, too, because um, part of my story is, you know, a lot of that. You know, I was forced into a different path because of my own healing journey, and there was anger there because some of it, most of it probably should have never happened, um, but because I blindly trusted, and there is an anger there. And I think, you know, um, with emotions, they all do have different frequencies, and, but at the same time, there's no good or bad emotion. 
um, it, they just are. And we put, again, a story to anger. We put a story to joy. These are good. Be these. These are bad. Don't be these. But I think there's a power to anger. And when I started studying um, healing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in spontaneous healing, one of the most interesting things that actually got me looking into emotions was spontaneous healing of cancer through an extreme bout of not joy, not gratitude, which you can do that too, anger. Wow. An intense expression of something felt within the physical form. And I found that so fascinating because, you know, you do hear some of the stories of an intense moment of gratitude just where you felt it all in your body and these people heal in these beautiful moments. But I was shocked when I came across that and I was like, anger. And then it made you made me look into just be like, what's okay. I'm putting my judgment and story on this word that we call an emotion, which is still just neuropeptides that create a sensation in the physical body. Um, you know, what if, what if it's not good or bad? What if we quit trying to put them in categories and containers or like, there's a beautiful piece to all of it. And, and what is anger? It's very mobilizing. And so I think what happens is if you use it as mobilization, mm -hmm. powerful, mm -hmm. if you stay in it, pathology and, you know, cause you, we can't just be, we could be, I never say you can't do anything because the more I work with people, the more I'm just like, you never want to say what people can't and can't do because it'll come back and bite you or just shock you. Anyways, um, but I just, I, I just think that there's just so much more to all of this. And I think that, you know, moving through the anger phase is necessary and being angry and feeling all of that and feeling it fully and then moving through it and going to like, okay, now what? We're mad. <laughs> that was not cool. But now what, what part, how can we start turning this towards healing? How, how do we make this energize me, heal me, motivate me, inspire me? How do we turn it, you know, the alchemy of it, turn that into something beautiful and powerful and make a change, make a difference. Don't stay in it. Don't stay stuck. Um, there's practices in psychology that, that play off of what you're saying, like the empty chair, right? Like the empty chair intervention. Um, some people don't know it unless you've been to therapy, right? Um, right? If you explain that to people on some level, they would kind of go, what are you doing, right? But research would back up the fact that if I put an empty chair in front of you and say you had an issue with your mom or your dad or something, you imagine your mom and dad in the chair and you talk to them, uh, and then you also do that with yourself. Imagine you're in that chair and what would you say to yourself? And this is a, a, a proven intervention that that is helpful, right? And most people would be like, that's not scientific, right? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't, but yes, it, it works. There's research to doing that and just getting those words out, right? And, and saying those words in, in a place. So I'm, I'm trying to help people understand that kind of uh, how wide the net can be when it comes to healing people just at a psychological base, when you're just coming from a psychological practice, much less uh, utilizing anything else. Um, and so the emotion, I, I too agree with you as uh, as anger being a very powerful tool when applied properly. Um, you know, you did you did make me look up to the to the right a little bit when you mentioned the idea. Um, how how come we can't mean we can't change what emotions mean, right? So why can't this be good, right? This be a good thing that all emotions we experience sadness, right? But as you also said, we've boxed those in as being whatever sadness is, and then it made me think like. Shit, how could we get rid of the social constructs that make us create those emotions to be that, right? Like, I'm supposed to be sad if 
um, XYZ happens, right? Pick, pick a Lifetime movie, right? Pick a drama movie. Well, those <laughs> things, I'm supposed to be sad. But we associate that based on social constructs and then call that emotion something when we feel that emotion at some level. Again, open to subjective changing, right? Again, right? This isn't reality if you recognize the social construct is what's shaping you to create that emotion, right? And that I could move that and apply that in, in other areas of my life and, and, and use that uh, in different aspects, right? Kind of like that, that's, that's sort of only the cusp of what you practice, though. Of, <laughs> that's barely walking yeah. into the tip of the iceberg, though. It's a huge piece, though, because you cannot, you know, from what I've learned, you cannot separate the mind, the body, the spirit, um, and, and expect to have optimal health in a, in a being. I would agree. All of those things. So, you know, to diminish even that, you know, I, I think is missing out on a huge piece of what it is to be well. I always tell my patients, like, um, I'm never going to tell them what is possible for them. Um, and part of it is, you know, and I tell them up front, too. Like, if you get this on a certain frequency, instantaneous healing is possible. People have done it. But it's so much work. There's so much indoctrination. There's so much that has been just piled on us that's not even ours. And so I think a lot of what I do is I help you remember the power of this. And that starts unraveling the rest. When you start having certainty... And um, a belief in your your closest thing, then you can start looking into those corners of your psyche, of your traumas, of all of the things that you felt and experienced. Everything that has touched you in any way matters, and everything is held in your consciousness, in your biofield, in your physical body. It's how this works, you know. Um, it is scientific. The true. At capital S science, not this other man manipulated big pharma funded stuff. Um, it's the most beautiful science. It's the sacred science and it's all very real and it all matters because why can you get some people, you know, to have beautiful, perfect laps? Perfect. And they're like, I don't feel right. Are they wrong? No, mm. they're not wrong. They're perceptive. They may not be able to put a language to it. Of like, okay, let's go there. Or what's there? Or what else, you know, have you covered up and suppressed? You know, the, we've just been trained to suppress, 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 suppress. And you think that goes nowhere? That's not how this, this world of frequency um, and energy works. You can't, you don't just tuck it away and it scares. Often we tuck it away and it grows. Well, um, couple that with the... I don't know, quadruple even doesn't even do it with the infinite amount of information now that is receivable to us in a matter of two minutes in our eyes and ears, right? And how we pull that. And uh, I'm not so sure our, 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 I don't know, fleshy little body here with this little brain we got uh, is quite evolved yet to the, to the time we're at to access this much information at once. Uh, at least the human psyche. I mean, we, we, we don't, we think we sort of understand it, but we have no idea. And so, God, blasting it with the information that we get constantly now, there's got to be side effects. You know, there, there, there has to be from just a, a scientific level would just say common sense wise, there's got to be some after effects of this or some side effects that are happening. Um, I mean, even even the psychological approach to, to helping people, um, you know, is limited in so many ways, too. Right. When um, we're talking about depression or anxiety themselves as experiences. 
something we go through. These are symptoms. And I think a lot of the times, you know, depression and anxiety are good things and say that out loud. And I mean, I've experienced anxiety and depression at the time. It is not a good thing. It's terrible. But uh, I think sometimes it's a it's a almost an alarm for us telling us, get the fuck out of here. Right. Whatever you're doing, where you're at, where you're living, how you're thinking, where you're working, get the fuck, get the fuck out of here. It's trying to tell you that before. I think the body is like the last one to start taking the shots. You know, the, the mind is trying to tell you, dude, we're depressed, we're anxious, have a drink. We're, we're, we're in some bad shit here. This isn't cool. Then after a while, the body starts to break down, too. And but I, I, I also loved how you said uh, mind, body. Th- these are the same things. Right. I first started writing my book, and uh, I don't think I've ever said this shit, uh, as I wrote this part of the, the book, and I was using this mind-body-spirit separation thing, and then I, and I knew the pushback I was going to get back from a scientific community on that side, trying to talk about it in different ways. And so then I, I, I found ways psychologically to speak about and separate the two uh, from more of a, a behavior standpoint as the body, right? What we're thinking, how we're thinking, being the mind standpoint and the essence of who we are in our environments, right? But that really, I meant mind, body, spirit is kind of what I was talking about. I tried to sneak that in there. <laughs> past <laughs> people, and I think I did successfully, right? But it, 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 I think the people that do understand the mind, body is really one. It's not a separation may pick up on that kind of idea, right? I was trying to, to relay that other side and pull them a little bit this way too, right? Yeah. No, I agree. It, it is all one. Just like, you know, the idea of having cardiologists and pulmonologists and dermatologists, like, it's very reductionistic. And I, I think, too, the next layer of that is knowing that the psyche, the, the spirit, the soul, um, you cannot separate these things at all. It's all one. We're all one. And I will kind of challenge you a little bit. I think we do have the capacity um, to be here in our most embodied, fullest, you know, expressed version. Um, But I think, again, it goes back to that innocence. And when you lose your innocence, if you do not replace it with intuition and a, a deep knowing and deep wisdom from your experiences and from, you know, what caused that loss of innocence, then you're easily manipulated and you're scattered. And that's what we're seeing right now. People are scattered. They don't have that solid foundation, that knowing, that unshakable nature. They've never had to use it. They've outsourced it. And that's what we're seeing now. But I think I think even with the information overload, um, innocence is just letting it like so much, just constantly coming from every angle. That's the innocence, just like letting things happen and just like being here and like, oh my gosh, now this and now this. There's an innocence to that. I, I think the intuitive, you know, growing pains is the focus. Like, let this come at me. I will digest it. I will see it. I will stand here. I will hear it. And then I'm going to digest it. I'm going to, you know, direct my focus where I want it with, you know, with my goals. That's what I tell my patients all the time. If you come in, you know, that's how I do medicine too. People come in with like, unbelievable amounts of symptoms chaos just freaking chaos and if i were to chase down every symptom oh my gosh you'd be on 14 pills just like mostly everybody is and they would need to be with me for the rest of their lives because it's like okay now we're going to tackle this and now but no it's reactive medicine our our medicine today uh, although 
does amazing things. It, it, it can replace organs. Right. It can do some life-saving, amazing things. There are some amazing drugs out there that save people's lives. I, I, I get it. I mean, some of that stuff, if I'm in a car crash, I'm bleeding, right? You know, I need right. some of this stuff. They can re- I can have a whole metal robot leg. You know, right. that, that's, that's pretty fucking cool. You know what I mean? That's, 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 there's some advances there that I appreciate. But I think, right. like you said earlier in the podcast, is we become um, attached to them, um, in need of them, and then we're sold that as well. Mm-hmm. Right, so that this becomes a, a structure that then attaches to our story of what life is and everything you explain. So I, I, I kind of want to put that out there that there's there's some that yeah, I, it's some some great Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, I think everything used properly um, and in a in a true genuine um, that, way. That's a big word for our our medical model right there. Right. <laughs> Wait, we have a for profit model and we have to use it properly. Right. Yeah, right. No, and that's what I talk about all the time, even when we talk about research. Like, I, I find it fascinating, um, you know, that we control for something like the placebo effect. And like, oh, what if we pause here for just a second? That means that that's somebody, funny how it got called a placebo effect, though, right? right? It's still an effect. Tuck it away in the corner. It's a thing, and I'm just like, why aren't we studying how they did that? Because what happens is in this model that we're in. They don't want you to know that you could do that on your I can't own. sell a placebo sell effect. Exactly. I can't sell a placebo that. effect. Just like you cannot sell the sunlight. Just like you cannot sell, you know, all of these other things. They found a way to take, you know, nature and earth and monetize it with our food <laughs> and our land, which is mind-blowing. That, but, had, that uh, had to freak people out, Those one, the people that were alive, probably still the day before bottled yeah. water showed up. When yeah. it wasn't a thing and then bottled water showed up, you had to be like, it's over. It's fucking yeah. over. What's happening? Yeah, they yeah. bottled water. It's 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 over. But I think you know, eventually, in my ideal world that I like to think about sometimes, um, medicine will will be available. I think medicine is a fundamental right, and like you know, mm-hmm. I had this <laughs> you know mind altering moment when you know I started my practice of like, I why do I have to sell this? People being well and living, they have to pay for that. Like, it just blows my mind. Like, in a world that makes them sick, they then have to pay for wisdom and information and understanding to be well. And I was just like, wow. Or or dedicate their life to a practice of it. I mean, you have to, yeah. That's where you you liberate yourself. That is true freedom. And that's why I do what I do. Um, Because I think if I can teach you and first, if I can translate the language of your body and help you understand its language and teach you how to listen to it and teach you, like, is this a pathology or is it a power? Is this you responding to your environment in a way that a healthy body would respond to an unhealthy environment? Or is, again, is it a pathology or is this a symptom of healing or a symptom of disease disorder? There's a difference. Again, we've just been taught one story of it. But I started learning when I actually look at it not from a way of like oh this means this which means this which puts you in this algorithm which means this 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 that's why people don't get results that's not how this works uh the body speaks in its own unique beautiful language and we just don't know how to listen to it you know we have joint pain and we immediately we have these like you know you can have emotional homes of like you always experience anxiety so when you feel excitement no it's an anxiety we have a story that's our emotional home you can do that with um, 
your health and well-being. A lot of people that have had to heal through chronic disease and invisible illness and autoimmunity, we have a, a home that we think, like, if we feel anything, it's pathology. And so a lot of times I, with my patients, as they go through this healing journey, they have to unwind that story of, like, oh, my God. Well, well hence the, re- the reactive medicine, its real response is to numb. And on some level, on a very basic level, any psychotropic medication I'm giving you in, in some sense, unless I got some you know, ADHD or some Vyvanse or Adderall, other than those things, right? I, the, the point is to calm, even the way that effect actually works technically, is to sedate. It's to numb the, the feeling of anything, be that sadness or, or any experience. Yeah, exactly. And, that, and that's numbing the um, way we interact, you know, to go large scale again with our world, with our existence. We're very much a part of this universe, this natural world. And when you can't communicate with it, when you cannot feel the sensations of it, when you cannot um, translate its language anymore because you can't even produce a reaction, um, you know, I, I, I think that's the furthest thing away from health. And, um, you know, I, I say it a, a lot, like, a patient that can't feel pain to me is more terrifying than a patient that's been in a lot of pain, constant chronic yeah. pain. Yeah. If you cannot feel, I've got so much more work to do than somebody who feels so much. Well, we just have hashtag to- sociopath, right? That's what you get. That's yeah. what you get pulled into, right? That's what you become. You know, I've often argued left field. I squirrel off on this podcast. You know, people, you know, they, they make Instagram posts and things about how bad narcissists are and all this other stuff. And people forget that that's a mental health diagnosis. So we can talk about how bad narcissists are. If we ever said that about people that had depression, you know, oh, the people with depression are so terrible to be around. You can't be in a relationship with them. <laughs> it's all about them, right? People would yell at you. But narcissism is an actual disorder. It's a, it's a quotes, personality disorder. And people forget about that, too, just... Back to, back to center field. Sorry for left field right there. <laughs> that's right. Just something I... I 10 seconds in the mind of me on the average day, right? Where I'm going, wait a minute. Yeah. No, and I think always question everything because that's part of my medicine too. It's like I started realizing that, you know, we just look at pills and supplements and the lucky few, food and water, as inputs that have an effect in our physical body. Everything has, like, everything. Everything is an input. Everything you see, feel, hear, um, things you can't see or hear, you know, frequencies, all of these different things have a physiological response when received by our body. And so, you know, I, I like, I liken it to like, say an individual, um, you know, sat down and was eating, you know, just regular mushrooms, sauteed mushrooms, and they ate it and they felt fine. Say the next meal, they sat down and you actually gave them psychedelic mushrooms. But they looked like regular mushrooms. They were cooked the same. You're welcome. They had a different response, right? They had a different response. And if they didn't understand the input that they just took in, they would be like, I messed up. I am diseased. I'm schizophrenic, bipolar. I'm everything. I'm hallucinating. Like, I messed up. You had a proper response to the input you took in. How many inputs do we have no idea what we're even taking in? Through television, through you know 5G, through light, through all of these things that we don't consider to be an input in this physical body. And so part of what I do is I study the person, listen to the language of their body, 
What inputs are in your environment? And what if the response you're having is a proper response? You're just, it, you just didn't understand the, what input you were putting in. You were consuming psychedelic mushrooms thinking that they were regular mushrooms and having a response that was the same. So are we misreading pathology? Well, compare, you know? comparing your mushroom story, right? Substitute the accidentally ate psychedelic mushrooms with, I accidentally got married, had kids, and got a nine-to-five Right. And, and I've been doing this 20 years of my life and something's wrong. Right. You're speaking to a social construct. Pick any life that somebody leads. Right. That's the, uh, the kind of the wake up from it. Right. Uh, and a response from it. Yeah. And it matters and it changes things. And, and when you understand, you know, that it all matters. Well, people, people can understand, I think, on a level if you tell them env- environment matters. Right. Most people are going to go. Yeah. Okay, yeah, environment matters, right? But then if, if you told people, well, then break down the environment, right, and remove a few things at a time from the environment, what you're really seeing is that a few things make up that environment, right? Picture your worst environment imaginable, right? You got fire, all these other things. Well, if I take this out, I take this out, I take this out, right? And now all of a sudden, uh, the environment's changed. So it could be something as small that you don't think about that's creating that environment or is a piece to that entire environment, uh, that you piece apart. And I think that is a common sense way to kind of explain to somebody that y- you know environment matters, but you also know that environment is made up of a bunch of little tiny environments, right, that, yeah. that collaborate to create that environment you have. So let's not forget about the things that make up the environment, not just the environment as a whole. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's um, powerful when you actually can zoom out and be like, whoa, so light has a physiological response. It can impact hormones. Wow, didn't know that. What kind of light am I consuming? Um, you know, what air matters, toxicants and products matter. Everything, you know, when you can start breaking it down and be like, whoa, that's a lot of inputs. Like if you were to substitute light for a pill and conceptualize it that way, you're like, wow, I am taking in a lot of different well, things. They that try that with vitamin D supplements, but it's exactly. not it's not the same. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah, Doctor Doctor Jack Cruz, who's been on this podcast uh two or three times, um I, I I don't know, you know his work? Yes. Yeah, he uh, he was kind enough to even write a, a cool read this book kind of thing on my, on my book. It was awesome. But I had to mention him and until he came on the show in his work, um I, I had not opened my eyes to this, right, and and really noticed anything like that, and had to have him on a couple times before I was going before it, it sort of clicked in me because he can talk way up here, you know, <laughs> he's talking on molecule levels and things. I'm going, <laughs> sounds good, right? <laughs> but at the end, and then I then I I started using some of the methods he was talking about, like grounding in the morning, right at sunrise. Uh, tilting your eyes off a little bit for each amount of time, X amount of time in direct sun. I started applying some of that stuff and oh, damn, I was like, yeah, just holy shit. And until you get in now, whether that's placebo, whether I wanted it to work, I went into it like a skeptic, like, all right, this dude's just crazy smart. Let's quit writing off placebo. Like it's not a thing. It's still a thing, right? 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 The biggest thing. I wanna, I wanna look. I do wanna research. As if we didn't have a device, as Steve would always say, uh, he's a producer of the podcast. We'd be in studio, and we'd all have this question. He'd be in the corner producing. He go, as if we don't have a device to look up all things, right? Right. But like the name of like the answers it gives us are accurate. Right. (laughs) Right. That's determined too. Um, But uh, our. 
it got the bad name of placebo effect, right? Why not? Why not the miracle effect or the or the amazing effect, <laughs> right? That yeah. happened. Something powerful. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But it sunlight is such, and like it's, and like if you can just think about sunlight by itself, um, we've demonized it. We have made people fearful. Like before, we've made them fearful of the air of coronavirus. We made them fearful of light <laughs> no, I, I live on the beach i i can smell when i walk out back because yeah, we're next to uh like a public parking area sort of right here and i don't want to tell anybody where but at a little park um i swear to god i can smell the suntan lotion uh, uh, or the uh sunscreen from across the park man and i'm like all the way across the park i'm like well they're all here today wearing that stuff on their skin well, and again, that's a level of fear that a lot of people haven't unraveled. And it's a fear of your natural world. And so we go again back to this fear, like the fear of something that we haven't even really, like, if you just step back and think about it, you know, for a second, you would kind of start calling bullshit on it. Like, why would, you know, every other organism on this planet need sunlight and we don't we need to hide from it and slather our skin with chemicals to protect ourselves from it like you know once you start just like kind of picking it apart you're like wow <laughs> like, okay that doesn't make any sense at all and what if it is the most potent and powerful medicine that we are designed to utilize and once you start looking at what it does with the hormones and you know neurology and how we were made we are light beings <laughs> um you know, there's this beauty, too, that I think you can fall into again, where your world is medicine. Every moment of it, every part of the day, the sunrise is its own type of medicine. The midday sun is a different kind of medicine. You know, sunset is a different kind of medicine. And it's there all day for free. Yeah, but, you, but, but come on, you're, you're asking people to look past not having enough in savings, to look past not having the newest lawnmower, to, to not take that vacation they get of freedom two weeks a year. You're, you're asking people to wake up from thinking, you mean I can enjoy my whole day when I go to a job I can't stand, right? So you're asking <laughs> them to lift social constructs, right, in their lives that, that, that weigh them down. That's that's a huge ask, and I, I make that comparison because the simplicity of what some people um, call natural medicine or naturopathy, the simplicity of it, when you look at the complexity of the problem that you keep creating yourself, right, uh, it, it feels like it can't be that simple, right, as those things, but when you really break it down and get into it, it's it's difficult to really apply, and the constructs you have to get through uh, are quite reinforced. I I always... You know, I love this conversation, too, about the simple, um, because from what I found, I got lost in research and all of these different things and went down the intellectual, like, pick it apart until you like, you get into quantum physics. Like, that's how I ended up there. Like, holy cow. Like, this is actually so very complex, so very complex. But then, you know, Einstein even says, like, if you understand something completely, truly, you can explain it in the simplest form. Um, and so the simple is often the most profound, but again, we've been trained to think like if it's not sexy and complicated and you have to get it from a doctor and you have to have a prescription for it, then it is nothing when, when it's, again, it's a story. And like you, you again, that wave and that cycle, you go back to the response so to that again, though, is, is because I can't package the sun just yet. 
I can't mm-hmm. package certain things. I mean, look, this entire pandemic, the, what I did not hear anybody except a couple podcasters and people talking uh, was up your vitamin D intake, get outside, get some sun, uh, move around, drink a lot of water, stay hydrated. Please, God, sleep. Get seven, eight hours of good sleep. Reduce your stress effects right now. Nobody said that shit. <laughs> I mean, you know, on a mass hole, right? On a mass hole, nobody was saying that. It was hope to God we get a vaccine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hope, hope to God they have pills and ventilators that'll uh, – all this reactive shit, man. It, it's. But I think it, it goes back to that story. Like if you have never even been able to lose weight naturally, how are you go- going to trust in yourself and sunlight and clean air and clean food in a pandemic? People have been stripped so far away from what they're capable of doing without somebody Good point. without an input because like what I tell people all the time too is like yes we can use herbs and supplements and all of these beautiful things um, to elicit a response in you but I would be lying to if I said that you couldn't do it on your own <laughs> if you are able to have that response you can do it on your own you know if you look into even again we'll go into schizophrenia again you know, those individuals are able or able to go into an altered mental state on their own. They don't know how to control it or regulate it. What is society obsessed with right now? I, Psychedelics. I, you know, I, I, I met a few. I treated a few schizophrenics uh-huh. uh, pretty often for some years. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, too. Uh, please no, don't forget your spot, please. Okay. Um, <laughs> And I, I can't say his name, but there, a, a gentleman uh, I will never forget. Um, and I had often, often heavy homeless schizophrenics that would come through clinic. You know, I'm, I'm talking deep into it, 20 years on the street type, right? Um, and lived that way. After a while, um, I don't want to say they were my favorite patient, but I was most intrigued. And oftentimes did feel that they lived on a different level than me and when I started looking up the definition of schizophrenic and I realized that it's it's audio and visual hallucinations but those are only hallucinations determined by the masses that don't see it so in its actual definition of that it it says that that the majority of people don't see right it, it subscribes to basically saying the masses don't see it so therefore it's a disorder or a trait and I'm going to I'm going wait a minute so something just cuz we all don't see it Determines it to be a disorder or a symptom of a disorder. Exactly. And these and some of these people are the most intriguing people. And the guy, I'll, I'll call him John. Um, he knew how he could elicit certain responses. Um, he was a fascinating individual. Um, fascinating. He never wanted the help. <laughs> he never wanted the help. Yeah. Somebody would bring him in, and he'd be like, "Look, man, I like living in the woods." And he's like, "I'm I'm good out there." <laughs> I'm fine, right? I, I eat really good, you know, what I find and stuff. So, but anyway, my, my point, as you were saying, is studying the three, four, or five years treating those individuals, I, I, I really do lean toward they're on another level, and I don't mean one like below our level. I, I kind of mean when they're in, a, in another place or maybe a step in our evolution, right? Maybe, maybe they're a step. Showing what we have that we haven't been able to tap into, you know? Um, Shit. A People that I yeah, I like that. We, as they heal and understand, like, oh, this wasn't a pathology. 
And then you talk to them at how they see the world, what they're able to see. Um, you know, I talk about this all the time too. Like very rarely do people come to me and be like, can you create a loss of function in me? No. What, what's the biohacking community want? Gain of function, <laughs> more sensitivity, more perception, more, 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 more. And yet when these individuals come into this world equipped with this, we call it a pathology. Again, go back to the you know mushroom example. Yeah, yeah. They're able to do it on their own. And we're obsessed with these compounds because we want to feel what they can do. Mm. You know? um, but we've called them pathological. And the more I look into you know the very hidden research, um, the more this is uh, you know parallels so many different conditions, so many of those you know titles that we hand over to people. They're like, oh, you're pathological, you know. Um, from what I've looked into, that is very rarely the case. Pathology is often the ones that can't sense, that can't feel, um, that, you know, are desensitized to their external world, not the ones that see things that, you know, others can't or feel things that others can't. We've just, again, given such a story to it. And I think that this limits us from what, what we're capable of because, you know, it, it just, it starts putting labels on it. And so if this is pathology, then we're not going to want to go explore that and explore the beauty of it. Just like, you know, the placebo effect, very few people are like really looking into the magnificence of that. Yeah. Uh, and a big turning point for me in my own medicine was when I stopped studying pathology and I started studying healing because <laughs> I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like I could explain hmm. pathology down to the finest point, but like I'm in a profession where I'm supposed to help people be well. Well, maybe we should kind of flip the script. That's on that a, a genius bit. point because all in psychology, you're right. It's teaching the the etiology of manifestation. How how does this is how this has become a thing? We call this something, and here's the pathology. Here's our proof that this is a thing. So that, I like that your idea of they were yeah it's working backwards. Here's a group of negative symptoms we've grouped into a whole that has yeah. developed this thing, rather than looking at a, a healing response to it. Again, preventative versus reactive. Yeah, well, and once you start studying, like my I started looking at research studies differently too. Like okay, so nine mice out of the ten had this response, and I was like, okay, cool. I need to know about that one mouse, <laughs> the one that it didn't impact him. The one that just kept eating and doing his thing. Like I want to know about him. And so that's how I started, you know, getting into the medicine and the practice that I have now was I started studying those things. I was like, I want to know, you know, how I want to know more about the people that had radical remission. I want to know more about the people that had spontaneous healing. I want to know more about the science of, you know, how that mouse was not impacted by 5g. What was he doing differently? What was he thinking? You know, what was going on in that little body? Um, and I think that if we could, again, shift well, how, our how much of it we blow that off, we call it genetics, right? When there's no answer for it and no explanation for anomaly, we just go genetics. We just label it that. They're an outlier. Right. You know? Yeah, they're a very, uh, outlying variable. Those don't really matter. And I'm like, no, I want to know everything about the outliers. I want to know everything about the ones that screw up your experiments and don't follow the rules. And like, I, I want to know what makes that you know, being an entity tick and do make it, you know, so resilient, so unshakable, because I think that actually shows what is actually capable. You know, the other one showed the weakness in the group, the one that didn't 
you know, the one we want to just push it away. Well, it's funny. That's where that's where we start with when we want to develop a vaccine, right? We find the people that it doesn't affect, right? And that's where we come up with cures for, right? Is through that. Right. So that yeah. we really should be studying the outlying variables for those uh, research, those uh, studies that they do. Yeah. No, I, I think oh, I won't get started into research and the vaccines, but you know, um, there's just so much more here, and I, I think we've for too long focused on the wrong things, you know, and if we put our focus again into something that benefited, uh, the population that benefited the the world, um, like what could we come up with? Like if we focused on all of these things that we can't even put words to that, we don't even have the technology to measure that. Like you can't explain, I want to know more about that stuff. You know, that's why I love herbs, too. They're conscious things. Um, I can have the same herb and put it in your body, and it does for you what your body needs. And I can put it in my body, and it does what my body needs. And, like, science hates that, but I freaking love it. Like, how cool is that? We don't even have words to understand all of, you know, the magnificence of what is around us. But we're, gosh, we'll study and study and study all the terrible and you know, break it down to every little pathway of how, you know, if you look in pathology books, there's a million ways to get one disease. I'm just like, wow. Like you, so many 10 million ways. ways to get one <laughs> symptom too. <That's> right. <laughs> Pick a symptom. There's and, 10 million things. And so, you know, I really just shifted to the other. I'm like I, I could care. I don't care. I want to understand how to heal, how to regenerate, how to be well and optimal and thrive and, that felt better for me, and you know, I feel like it has benefited my patients so much more than me understanding the million ways that you can be unwell. <laughs> you know, that's certainly a, a different aspect in, in studying. You know, part of um, the reason I stopped being a therapist is I'm around that that negative stuff all day, and I, you know, I take it home with me sometimes. Right, I'm, I'm wearing my patients' lives on my sleeve all the time, going. Man, you know, I want to help you. You're you're bringing that in, but uh, again, to speak back to the the, the profit driven side, is you know we we're not studying those things, right? And then you get a pushback from the scientific side that pays back toward one that can't be researched, bottled, right? That may be going against their business model, right? Of how they're selling their medicine or how they're selling their their response to a symptom of some way. Um, but the I think this side scares the other side, right? Quantum medicine scares another side. And sure, you have to put holes in things as it's doing it, but I think that can be the beautiful way of kind of discovering it. Yeah, not this, but this, right? Not this, but this, and opening our minds to it. I, I, I would agree with you, especially on the psychology side, that we are so stuck in the pathology and finding more disorders, finding more things wrong with the human psyche, with the behavior, with society, finding those ways as opposed to trying to find uh, newer ways, right, to to heal people, to, to change, uh, I guess, people's lives, really. Uh, well, and what you speak to, too, is actually a neurological mechanism that we have in us that we can either use for good or bad. Um, you know, when you train your brain to look for what's wrong, there's, you know, it's called the reticular activating system. It will find more of that because you've asked for it. It will, you know, if I ask you to look around your room and tell me what you saw that was blue and then, or tell you to look for blue and you look around in your room and pick out all the things. And then I have you close your eyes and tell me all the things that you saw that were pink. You didn't look for them. 
you know, pay attention to those things. And so your brain will always, you know, give you more of what you're asking for. You know, it's, it, there's a purpose to it. And so when you understand the way the body works, you can then be like, okay, I don't want more of that. Give me more of what makes me well. Give me, let me pick out the things that are going right. Um, you know, cause that's what I have my patients do too in the beginning, like write down all the symptoms, everything that's going wrong in your body. I want to know. Like everything, every, like my nails aren't as strong or my hair is not as thick or everything. Be so picky. And then we, but then we leave that at that until we start marking things off. And then I want you to start looking like every single day, what has gotten better? And, you know, when we're trained, you know, just think about somebody with acne when they, they look for the pimple, they look for the spot instead of being like, whoa, look how much of my face is clear. Cool. Yeah. And so we train to look for it. And then because of, you know, if you want to talk about law of attraction and how this universe works, you get more of what you look for. And so, again, like it, it, it all matters. It all everything that you do, again, this focus, like what are you looking for? Because you'll find it and then you'll get more of it and it'll keep reinforcing it and keep you looking at it. Just like with what's going on in this world. If you want more chaos, you can find endless amounts. But does that mean that the beauty and the brilliance and the medicine and all the wonderful is gone right now? No, we're just not looking for it. We're not looking at the people that are healing in their homes right now. Like, holy cow, I stopped taking my medication and I didn't need it. We're not looking for all of the, those beautiful stories of like, you know, this changed for me. This evolved for me. You know, let's look for those things. Let's look for the healing. Let's change our perspective, change our focus, ask for more to, to reinforce that. Um, that takes some serious work. I mean, we, we have been trained to be critics. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we write reviews, places we go, things we eat, right? We are critics. And we're yeah. taught from a young age, too. Most of us, not everybody, I'm generalizing, uh, are, are taught to critique ourselves, right? Where, where do we fit in, in this category, on this ladder? Oh, I don't have enough money for this, right? Or, oh, I'm not um, strong enough for this, right? We're critiquing ourselves along the way and become masters. I actually write, <laughs> write about that in my book. We become masters of criticism, right, in, yeah. instead of being, being masters of the optimism. And, but we're trained that way from a marketing standpoint, from a product standpoint, and from an illness standpoint, you know, the, the, the clinical practitioners are taught to do that. Let's diagnose from symptom backwards. Um, let, let's look at your depression or anxiety from what, what something terrible that's happened and, and work backwards to it. Uh, and it really, I, I, I do, I love that mindset. When you're looking for something, it is true, especially in mental health. As of recently, uh, I've been pretty boisterous about that the last like four months or so on the podcast, six months or so. I don't know. Um, actually, a little longer. But that there's a thing of over therapy. You go to therapy too much, too often. Look, if I'm a therapist, I'm going to find something. If I'm a trauma therapist, I'm going to find trauma, right? If I'm looking for some reason, I'm going to find it eventually, right? And that sometimes going to that, that type of therapy, the psychoanalysis therapy, we're taught, you know, too much. It puts you in a mind frame of searching for the symptoms, searching for, uh, poor interactions with other people and relationships to cut. You're staying this constant self-critic, uh, being in that type of therapy too long. Uh, I, like, I do. I like that you're pointing out that mindset of, of looking more toward a healing direction as opposed to trying to tracing symptomatic issues that are leading to my pathology that are keeping me ill instead of moving forward beyond that. Yeah. Well, and you can even, once you start understanding our subconscious mind and how it works and how it factors into the healing journey, 
you have to understand, um, especially with my cancer patients, um, who have been given a word that <laughs> really doesn't translate to what's actually going on in the body. And that's a whole different conversation. But um, even when they try to be more positive and they're like, I'm doing this to prevent cancer or to battle cancer, or the subconscious doesn't listen to those qualifiers. So even in our attempt to be positive, what are we still doing by holding on to this name that we were given? What's your subconscious hearing without all the qualifiers of I'm fighting it and I'm going, I'm doing this to prevent it. What's it hearing? Cancer, 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 cancer. And so you have to understand, you know, how this thing works. And when you understand it, then you start, you know, hack yourself and every single day, you know, do the best you can to, you know, change your existence, change your story, change what you look for, change what you expect. Um, I recently had a patient, I'm just still so excited about her story. She came to me, she had um, a treatment done with radioactive iodine that pretty much obliterates your thyroid. And so she came with clinically induced hypothyroidism um, and she was put on hormones and you know they're told that they have to be on hormones forever. There's no other options because um, medicine destroyed your thyroid. Um, and she felt terrible and it just, she didn't feel well and, you know, decided to take herself off of the hormones and do her own research and look into things. And um, her TSH, which is a marker to show how much your brain is asking for thyroid hormones, was like 182 and she dropped it down to 142, which is still critically high. The range is, you know, somewhere to like point four to um, four something, um, depending on the labs and hers is in, you know, the 142 range, what we call the critical value so high, um, that it's dangerous. And so she came and we ran labs and she was at 142 when we started and she just was willing to suspend everything and go all in. And she went all in completely. She did the work. She read the book. She changed her mind worked like did the work and it was time to retest because when your labs are that high it's to protect you it's best to recheck and so at the two month mark we were rechecking just to see where she was at and um she had worked so hard but her expectation was to drop it from that 142 to 98 which is still high crazy high but that was her expectation she was working really hard and she was like 98 i just i want it to be 98 and but then she was like you know what i don't care it's not going to change how I feel. So I'll just wait to see the labs. And I was like, oh, this is going to get good. Because you know when they're there that this is going to respond in such a different way. And um, we went over her labs uh, yesterday. And according to allopathic medical standards, she is normal. And yeah. she, took, she took it from 142, TSH of 142, down to, um, I believe it's 0. 0.4 or 0. 0.6 something um, in two months. What were some <laughs> of the things you were doing? Um, we listened to her body. So we um, did light, we did diet, we did herbs, we did specific nutrients, um, we did circulation, we did body electricity. Um, we just, we did everything. I threw everything at her. Like we went hard because it was like, we got to do something. We got to do it now. Or, you know, you may have to look at other things, but I'm never going to tell you what you can and can't do. And boy, did she show up and, 
you know, that's one of those things. There were no hormones. There were no prescription drugs used. Everything that she used, you can get on your own. You can do on your own in your home. That's medicine. That's what this physical body is capable of. And, and you know, her face when she was expecting a 98 <laughs> and we were way past that. That's that moment that you're just like, what if I would have expected more? <laughs> like, can you imagine? Like, if we yeah. raised expectations instead of just, you know, that's what I tell my patients. A lot of them come and they're like, I want clear skin. And I'm like, is that it? Yeah. And then we like go into it and they're like, oh, okay, maybe I want, you know, more energy and more this and more this. And I'm like, yes, we've been trained to come and ask for just no acting, not beautiful skin, not, you know, just we don't want fatigue, not boundless energy and electricity all day long. Why do you think you know, that is that we're, we're trained to come in and ask for the, the, you know, the slower in thing? Just we, cause we don't, part of it I think is that we've been told it's not possible that you can't have that, that, that that's reserved for the select few. And then I, I think the other is we don't want to ask for it cause we don't want to be disappointed if what we believe in is not true. Cause a lot of times, um, you know, when you're making the shift from traditional medicine to, you know, natural medicine, there's this like tug of like, they don't believe it. They're calling it crazy. There's so many judgments and stories, but I really want it. And like, I feel like if anything's possible, this could get me there. But then there's this moment of like, okay, but if I try it and I'm wrong, what am I going to believe in at that point? And so a lot of us don't even want to go there because we don't want to prove ourselves wrong. Because hoping for it still feels better than knowing. And again, we're here in this time of like, no, see what you see, feel what you feel, prove yourself wrong. Because what if you accidentally prove yourself right? And yep. it changes the world for the better, more than you could have ever experienced. And, you know, so we've just been told to not ask and not expect more and, you know, keep us in this, this low level vibration, this, this lack you know, of like somebody draws the line in the sand of what's cap- what, like what's possible for you. Maybe, what you're capable of. I mean, I, I hate to say it like this, but maybe we've been taught too much to just to just be grateful of what you got, right? Watch right? So, yeah, don't ask for more. Be grateful you got one, right? You, you yeah. don't get two cookies, right? So be grateful <laughs> you got one. Maybe yeah. we're, we're we're just kind of trained, and I think the system is set up that way though too, right? You go to the doctor for a thing, right? I have this thing. Now I come yeah. to you, right? I'm sick. Give me that thing that, right? It's I think we're we're trained that way medically, but uh, I, I do like the idea of, of reaching out for something larger than maybe we even expect uh, of ourselves or what's even possible. I mean, uh, we hear stories a lot, right? All the time. I'm, I'm sure somebody's got a story. Mostly everyone probably has one where they go, you know what? I got this one friend. You wouldn't believe what happened, right? This, it's this miracle <laughs> story, right? That happens. Um, but we, but we do lean hard on what's provable, what, what can, and to kind of argue the scientific side, those that may argue against quantum medicine or anything on that end, Right, because they have, you know, they think they have this loophole, this loophole, whatever, uh, because science of this. Those people are also, you, they're on the forefront of a science. There has to be people on the forefront of another science that's pulling along what is or isn't proven, right? I mean, like the first person that's doing surgery, right, back in the day. He looks like a madman, right? He's cutting somebody open. He's a crazy person. How, what yeah. does he think he can do? Take that heart out and replace it. How dare he think he can cut a kidney out? Right? He's a mad person. <laughs> and, and, but now you're just a, a neurosurgeon, right? Now you're just an amazing surgeon for doing that. <laughs> yeah. 
yes. right? So that there has to be people on that forefront that are buying yeah. dead bodies from the morgue to cut them up, right? <laughs> to, to, to see how they can do a transplant or something, right? And, and so there has to be people, I think, like yourself, um, that are on that forefront digging around out there, applying methods out there, um, pushing for the unknown to find the impossible, right? Uh, I, I think that quote that shit. I like that, um, <laughs> but I, like I think <laughs> I think that's necessary, and and I think um, I think I, I tried to tie some of that in to, to a point of psychology with a cognitive approach using the word belief, which again is a hard thing to de- to describe to people. The difference between a belief and a thought, right? It's hard to walk people through that, but a, a lot of what you're speaking to this change, this initial or fuel for it, probably not even the whole thing. Um, is this initiating of a belief change at first or a recognition that the belief is simply a subjective belief, right, is where I like to push it, but knowing that, that the power of that belief is push forward your current life. The current life that you've produced, that you've blossomed and have around you now is based on the beliefs you've had. And rationally, wouldn't I say if I just change those beliefs over time, I will have a different blossom of life? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I tried to tie that those seemingly impossible miracle moments of change, the moment of change, right? Um, the story you just described um, yeah. to the psychology world of the definition of a belief, right? Of what that belief is. Yeah. Well, and I think too, belief is so huge. It ties into that story piece. Um, and a lot of people have beliefs about what they're capable of doing. And like, you know, take for instance, our belief in what you can heal. Like somebody drew a line in the sand of like, yeah, you can heal wounds, you can heal, you know, diabetes if you do certain things, but you can't heal lupus, you can't heal cancer, you can't, like, people are doing it, but when, who, where did we get this absolute of like, you can do this, but everything over here, no. That's no, no. true. America wasn't founded on that bullshit. No. You know what I mean? It was kind of founded on like we can fucking do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It kind of was. Yeah, yeah, we're we're got. I mean, even the first cats that got here. I'm 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 half Native American, so I'm split. I'm 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 split either way. I'm like half of me yeah. wouldn't have fucking been here, right? The other half was here. So, um, right. But you know, it our that American spirit is kind of that. It was we can fucking do anything. We'll figure it out. You want to go to the moon? We'll go to the fucking moon, right? You could argue that too. We didn't go there. Whatever. <laughs> Right. (laughs) For those listening. Right. You could. There's a rabbit hole there. Right. Well, backstepping. No, but I mean, we I think we do need to get back more to that. Yes, we can do that kind of thing. Right. Of Yeah, we can figure that out. We can find a way to figure this out or test that or research that. But so much research that you said this earlier in the podcast is, is tied to if this research can produce something I can bottle, package and sell. Then sure, here's your here's your grant money. Here's your something. I mean, if we just had people just I don't know funding vaccines before a pandemic, and we put billions into it like we did for I don't know I don't know Viagra or something, right? We, we we'd have had a vaccine, <laughs> right? It'd have been up. We don't do that, and we, we've said it. I think it's a it's a thread throughout this entire conversation in the science that you practice and the methods you practice um, it, it is. It's hard to do the research if people aren't funding it, if you can't package it. You can't package sunlight. You don't even know half the things that you're connected to and have the ability to reach. Um, right. I, I don't know. I, I, I think I think this brings up another point that I've kind of been, like, sitting with lately. Is And, like, I love research. I read it. I, I stay up to date. I find it fascinating. 
um, on so many levels. And I, I use it when it applies and when it is true. Um, but still, I think there's still this level of we're, we're still outsourcing what is capable for us. Like, is that proven? Yeah. Show me the research article, the peer reviewed, like all of this criteria. Show me the proof. And like, what if we can keep doing that and keep trying to understand this mysterious and beautiful place that we live in and how things work and try to understand as best we can? Like, it's beautiful. Science is amazing. I love it. But at what point, like, you know, you can read about something all day, like, but you don't, you know, say like you were reading about swimming. Like, why not try to go swim and see what it's like for yourself? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I think that was the biggest turning point for me because even, you know, on my own healing journey, I listened to what they said I could do. And that was very, um, you know, not empowering to say the least. And, you know, when I, I got to my rock bottom, it was like, okay, well, then I'm going to have to freaking give it a shot with the crazy, the non-scientific, the unproven, you know, all of the voodoo. I'm going to have to give it a go because I've got no other options and I kind of want to stick around a little bit longer. So let's try it out. And I can tell you the difference between me just reading about it and trying to conceptualize it intellectually and me living it and breathing it and knowing this medicine inside and out because I live it, I breathe it. I like, it is my world. It, it's totally different. And I don't really give a shit what your research article says because nobody came here and studied me, Yeah. you know? And so why do, why do we act like that's not just as important? Like it's beautiful. Use the research. Let's, let's use it to come up with ways to save people and prevent things and, and evolve in a beautiful way, but don't look to it to see what you're capable of. Um, cause that was another like thing that. too, even as a doctor, like when coronavirus came on the scene, I'm like looking around, like, has anyone lived through a pandemic and what did you guys do? And then there was a moment of like, why are you looking for their response? What do you know? What do you believe? And I think, I think as you know, a nation, as a, as a world, we need to start being like, okay, that's great. And that's great, but I live this. I know this. So you can change the story all day. The science can change. All of these things can change. And it's intellectually engaging and fun. And we can have conversation that's stimulating and all of these things. But I know what I know what I know. And I live it and I experience it. And so, like, you know, I don't care if your research article says that this is impossible because it was possible for me. And I think there's still, like, this level of, like, yes, let's use it. But don't use it to define. Don't use it as an absolute, just like lab results. I don't look at lab results to give you a word to define you, to tell you if you're normal or not. It's, it's an input. It's a point of reference. Understand what it means. Understand that it was a moment, a snapshot in time, as best we can measure. Not this person is, you know lupus this person is you know Hashimoto's no not even at all like it's a group of symptoms too again that we've you know put under this umbrella term so like I I love science I love research but I've gotten to a point where I'm like I'll take it for what it is I'll look at what it has to say I'll maybe look into it in my own way and get my own you know again look at those little outliers and be like what were those guys doing um 
but I don't use it anymore to, to tell people what they're capable of doing or to even put limitations on what's possible in my physical body because, you know, again, it's a limitation. It's like in the boundaries of science, you can be as well as science understands. And I'm like, no, why doesn't science come and study us? Why, why don't they come meet our standards? How did this woman do this work without hormones, without any prescription drugs, two months? Go study her. Go figure out, like, what did you do? You know, um, because there's people, there's so many stories about this, but like we want to just act like, oh, there's not something magnificent to be seen there. It doesn't fit into our bubble of what's accepted in science. And so even when you come into this time, we're looking to what does science say about the coronavirus? What does science say about how, you know, what you need to be well? What does science like? Yes, it's important. Um, and you can use it if you know how to use it, but don't let it use you and don't let it control and dictate your experience like you know i i just want to always push science to catch up with what i'm seeing because i get to see a lot of really cool stuff i'm like i go study him <laughs> you know go study her go see like how did they do that how did they do that because you know i think that's the mystery i think you know and a lot of people are studying these things and it's either getting suppressed or discredited or you know, completely just burned and buried. Um, but I think that that's where our liberation comes from, where we don't need the science. The science needs us. It needs to try to understand what we're putting out. Um, because, you know, that was a huge shift for me um, as a doctor. And even in my own healing journey, it was like, well, then I'm going to prove you wrong if that's where you say this ends. Because I don't, I don't really want to end there. Or that's not good enough for me, you know. You went on just now what I call a cognitive rampage. That <laughs> is the definition of it. You went off, as people call it, but I call it a cognitive rampage. That's that's what that that's what that is. And I, I usually try to I I run the interview until I get the person to go off on their cognitive <laughs> rampage. And I, I can't think of a better way to to wrap the wrap the show up. Perfect. Where can people find you? Um, and see you or Instagram, whatever. Put it all out there. Take, where you take your program or something. Yeah. So on Instagram, you can find me at Dr. Cassie Huckabee or at um, Grit Natural. And my website is gritnaturalmedicine.com. And you can um, work with me there. I do speaking. I do um, just education for those self-healers that just like to have a new perspective and do it on their own because I'm all about that. Or um, if you want to be a patient, we do that too. And we go all the way in and we do all of the work. And um Hopefully most people don't need me for too long if we if we do the work right. So that's where you can find me. And um, I so appreciate you having me on today. It was so good to talk to you. No, I had a blast. Dr. Huckabee, thank you. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that podcast with Dr. Cassie Huckabee. I really did the the energy and genuineness behind her approach to treatment. Um, it, it was refreshing to talk to someone Um uh, they can make some connections between you know the world around us, uh, some natural healing methods, uh, what you focus on. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that podcast. I hope you did too. You can check out uh, any of her information at gritnaturalmedicine.com. And don't forget, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Cognitive Rampage podcast on iTunes. Leave a review, uh, only if it's a good one. 
Uh, we'll take some constructive criticism too. But uh, also, Cognitive Rampage on YouTube, you can find a lot of information and interviews and uh, segments that I've done that aren't on the Cognitive Rampage podcast. You can find there on the YouTube page and participate in the Cognitive Questions series I'm doing right now. Uh, I will make those Cognitive Question posts on the Cognitive Rampage Instagram page. And as well as the Facebook page, you can comment there and I use your comments to make the show. So I uh, hope you're taking care of you. Hope you are living your cognitive rampage. Love you. Mm-hmm.